This week on the Myths and Legends podcast, it's the start of the story of Gawain, one of the most famous knights of the round table. And you'll see that if at first you don't succeed, you might be a medieval British knight. And that if a hairy green stranger asks you to play a game, just walk away. The creature this week isn't that annoying, as long as you don't mind a bunch of tiny samurai having a dance party in your bedroom at three in the morning. This is the Myths and Legends podcast, episode 67A, To the Dogs. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories you might not have heard, but really should. You don't technically have to have heard any of the previous King Arthur episodes to jump in for this one. But if you haven't heard episodes 27A through C, it would probably be a good idea to go back and listen to those. I'm about to get a little spoilery with those episodes. So if you haven't heard them, but want to follow the roller coaster of tragedy and ridiculousness that is the Arthurian legends, you might want to go download those first. Previously on the King Arthur story, Arthur became king of the Britons with an O, and his rule was contested by a lot of people, a lot of the kings underneath him. For some reason, they weren't cool with the reasonings of because a wizard said so. Anyway, he put down the rebellions, mainly led by King Lot, and a couple years later, proceeded to sleep with Lot's wife, when they were both visiting the same castle. She was also Arthur's half-sister, though he didn't know about it. They conceived a child that was prophesied to destroy Arthur's kingdom. Merlin, with his magic, saw that, but he didn't know who exactly the baby was. In an unforgivable move, Arthur arranged to have all the babies of that particular age bracket offered a life at Camelot. But the ship there never made it. It was purposefully abandoned, and it wrecked. Only one of the infants survived, Mordred, the child of Arthur and Lot's wife. He was rescued by farmers, and he was now outside of Merlin's power. Anyway, today is all about Gawain, which, yeah, I pronounce Gawain, but I think it's maybe correctly pronounced Gawain. I just want to let you know. always hated his father. His father was King Lot of Orkney. And if you're unfamiliar with the geography of the British Isles, the Orkney Islands are, well, islands far to the north of Scotland. Aside from the Shetland Islands, it's about as far as you can get from Wales in the British Isles. And Wales was where Camelot was. Maybe. There's constant speculation about that. Gawain was young when his father, Lot, rebelled for the first time against the young King Arthur after Arthur took the throne via magical sword. Arthur forgave Lot, and Lot was able to keep his kingdom under Arthur. Now, though, Lot was traveling south to kill King Arthur again. None of the knights or other warriors wanted to fight Arthur. They had seen this movie before. They knew how it ended. Lot was going to break the tenuous peace, but he was dead set. No one was more angry with Lot than Gawain. Gawain knew his future wasn't in the cold islands to the north, but in Camelot, Arthur's kingdom which might as well be the center of the world. Gawain didn't want to be a king. He wanted to be one of Arthur's knights, to win glory and right wrongs. Now, though, he would be once again the son of a rebel. Like I said, Gawain always kind of hated his father, until he watched his father die. 
Despite Merlin's magic slowing them down on the trip south, Lot's army fought Arthur's before the walls of Camelot, and they pressed the young king hard. So hard that Lot broke through the line and faced Arthur himself. Arthur was wounded from a previous battle with the king who collected the beards of his fallen opponents to make men's wear, because yeah, that was apparently a thing. Lot caught Arthur unaware, and the king barely had enough time to get his shield up. Lot's lance glanced off Arthur's armor and ran his horse through. Arthur's horse went down, and Arthur with him. The knights fighting to the death around them paused when the king hit the ground, and Lot jumped down from his horse, pulled his sword free, and walked triumphantly over to Arthur. He was going to look the young king in the eye before sliding his sword down the armor at the neck. Going was trying to press through the knights around him. He yelled out, but his voice was drowned out by the din of battle. Lot didn't see it, but another knight had gotten off his horse and was barreling toward King Lot. In moments, the massive knight was behind Lot, and he yelled and raised his sword above his head. Lot turned around and instinctively raised his shield arm, except this shield had been lost in battle earlier that day. Lot brought his sword up to attack, but not quickly enough. The attacking knight sword cut into the gap in the armor at Lot's neck, and seconds later, Gawain's father dropped to the ground in pieces. Gawain and Lot's knights from Orkney were stunned by how quickly things had turned for them. Arthur's knights were not stunned and rallied around their fallen king, cutting down any of Lot's men that resisted. Gawain, who was surrounded, surrendered and was captured. He just had to see one thing, though, and pulled against the knights that were subduing him. Arthur was alive, which, that's not a spoiler at all. The knight that had killed Lot struggled to pull the horse off of Arthur, and Gawain saw the knight pull his helmet off. He saw the deep wrinkles and the thick salt and pepper beard. Gawain gritted his teeth and vowed never to forget that face. So... This is a nice dungeon, Gawain said. Not at all in a dungeon. In fact, dungeons were more of a late Middle Ages thing. Well, it wouldn't be fitting for a king, Merlin said, sitting across from Gawain in a room in the castle. Look, no one wanted what happened outside. Not Arthur, not me, and not you. My father wanted it, Gawain said. But I don't know why. He had been different in the past few months like he was looking for death. I know why, Merlin said, and took a deep breath before lying to the young king. There was an accident some months ago, he said, an unspeakable tragedy. A ship was lost that carried his son, your brother, Mordred. Like a lot of people, he blamed Arthur and me. He didn't believe me when I told him your brother lived, and he still rode south. Anyway, I'm sorry for your loss. Your father was a complicated man, but we here in Camelot just want peace with Orkney in the north. You see, a storm is coming, a darkness that will engulf this island, and we cannot keep having these rebellions. Gawain thought about it and said, Okay, there could be peace, but on two conditions. One, I want to be a knight for Arthur. I don't care about returning to the north right now. Deal, Merlin said. Of course, you'll have to talk to Arthur, but, you know, I'm Merlin, I have some pull. What's the second request? The knight that murdered my father. I want his head, Gawain said. Absolutely not, Merlin said. Anything else? What? Just a hard no like that? 
Just like that, Merlin said. He's a really powerful king. His loyalty, right now, is even more valuable than yours. So, no, I'm sorry, but you'll just have to learn to live with the loss. Gawain sat in silence, thinking about it. Okay, I'm going to make this easy, Merlin said. You were captured rebelling against your king. I'm not offering just your freedom, but your kingdom and a knighthood. You're still our captive, and I'm not saying you have to take the deal, but take the deal. We all want this chapter to finally close. This whole rebellion thing is just getting old. We had to deal with this stuff from your dad from literally day one. So yeah, take the deal. Gawain took the deal. As we talked about in episode 27C, he was knighted and became one of the earliest knights at the round table. It was a few months later, at that first gathering of the knights, that he saw the man again. Only a few seats remained at the round table, and the man was there to take one of them. Arthur greeted him as an old friend, the man with deep wrinkles and a salt and pepper beard. Gawain learned his name was King Pellinor. Gawain leaned back to his younger brother, his squire, and said that it was him, the man who had killed their father. Gahiriot, the squire, looked at the man and gritted his teeth. He said Gawain had only to give him the word, and he would walk over to the man and stab him to death where he stood. Gawain looked down and saw his brother actually had a knife in his hand. Okay, I like your initiative, Gawain said, but that's an extraordinarily bad idea. I mean, we're surrounded by guys with swords. Here's what we're going to do. Keep the horses packed. We'll leave as soon as he does. Ride ahead of him and catch him in an ambush far from here. Okay, yeah, that's way better, Gahiriot whispered. That's why you're the king. Well, that and primogenitor. Gawain looked around, and his eyes met Merlin's, who was standing behind Arthur and King Pellinor as the two men chatted happily. Gawain looked away, but Merlin didn't. Gawain could feel Merlin's gaze boring into the side of his head. He couldn't shake the feeling that Merlin knew everything that they had just said. That night, the knights and the ladies and nobles all gathered for a feast. When everyone finished, Merlin stood up and got everyone's attention. Hey everybody, I'm Merlin, and uh, first, thanks for coming, I guess. And second, it's gonna get weird in here. No matter what happens, if everyone could just stay where they are, that'd be really great. Thanks. Everyone was kind of confused by this, but they were quickly distracted by a white stag rushing across the field, chased by a team of hounds and a beautiful huntress with her bow out. They thought this was a fantastic show until the stag took a turn and started heading straight for Arthur's feasting hall. Merlin urged everyone not to move at the impending craziness, so everyone stayed put. As the stag ran into the hall and was chased by a team of dogs, it jumped on the table, still chased by dogs, and the stag was as surprised as anybody to literally be crashing a dinner party, so it paused for a moment. But a moment was all the hound needed. The closest one bit into the stag's hind leg, and the thing shrieked, and more weirdness ensued. A knight sitting at the table pulled the dog from the stag, said something evil like, finally it's mine now, and took off in a run. The huntress was surprised to see a banquet, so she was distracted when the knight shoved her sharply on his way out the door with one of her dogs. Merlin got a good look at the knight in the direction in which he rode and told everyone that they could move again. Enjoy the party. Okay, but seriously, who steals someone's dog? I know, it's weird, even for medieval Britain, Merlin said to the huntress when everything had settled down. Worse yet, 
The stag had rushed out after the dog napper and all the other dogs after it. So the huntress was not only down one favorite dog, but all the dogs, and she didn't even have her stag. It was not a great day. We're sorry one of the knights took your dog. In truth, we have no idea who that was. It seems like we kind of just let anyone in here. Anyway, we'll put our best knights on the job, Merlin said. Gawain, come here, please. Gawain politely refused, but Merlin just looked at him. Did Gawain have something else he was planning to do after he left Camelot? No? That's what I thought, Merlin said. You're going after the dogs and the stag. Gawain gritted his teeth and looked at Pelinor. His vengeance would have to wait, but he would see it fulfilled. He packed up, and his brother and squire, Gahiriot, left with him on the quest. Also, Gawain and his brother will be going after the stag and the group of hounds. Another knight, named Tor, will be going after the dog-napping knight. And we'll see Gawain and his brother meet so many knights that are just very bad at being knights. But that will be right after this. This week's episode is brought to you by Stamps.com. We have a Myths and Legends store where my wife and I self-fulfill all the orders and ship t-shirts and posters all around the world. Shipping the orders was the most stressful thing about starting the store. I mean, before Stamps.com, I was that guy at the post office holding up the line with 100 different questions about what I should fill out where. Anyway, Stamps.com makes it ridiculously easy to run a small business in addition to two podcasts. You can print professional-looking labels for any letter or package using your computer and printer. And it's so easy that even I can't mess it up. And there's no worrying about complicated customs forms. The post office is cool, but it's super hard to get there and wait in line with our two-year-old. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. The ease of Stamps.com makes our online store possible. Right now, use my code LEGENDS for this special offer. A four-week trial that includes postage and a digital scale. Don't wait. And before you do anything else, click on the radio microphone at the top of the homepage and type in LEGENDS. That's stamps.com. Enter code LEGENDS. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. This week's episode is brought to you by The Great Courses Plus. I really like to learn about different topics, but I don't know if anyone else has had this experience, but it's really hard to know what's actual knowledge on a topic and what's just someone saying something on the internet. That's why I'm a big fan of The Great Courses Plus. They have awesome video lectures on so many different topics, and they're presented by award-winning experts. There are so many different, interesting topics, and right now you can explore and stream hundreds of courses for free. I just watched The Fundamentals of Photography, my wife is the photographer, but she's not able to be in the photos because she's always taking them. So I wanted to learn a little bit so I could take pictures of the family. And I learned how to think about the background, lighting, and shot composition to get cool photos from everyday life. The course has tips from a real professional photographer from National Geographic. It doesn't get better than that. Seriously, check it out. And right now, listeners of this podcast will receive a free month to watch this and any other course from The Great Courses Plus. Just sign up through my special URL, thegreatcoursesplus.com slash myths. You can start your free month today. You'll love it. Sign up at thegreatcoursesplus.com slash myths. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash myths. All right, now back to the show. Riding through a dark forest... Gawain and his brother heard the ringing of swords. Okay, so the pair met a number of knights doing what medieval British knights do, wandering around Great Britain getting in fights with each other out of a misplaced sense of honor. The 
The first pair were brothers, and they were fighting so hard that they had killed both of their horses. It was the pack of dogs that ran by after leaving the banquet that piqued their interest. They thought that it was one of those cool British quests that they could get involved with, and so they resolved to go after the dogs and see what was up. Well, the younger brother said, no, you suck at questing, I'm gonna go. To which the older brother deftly replied, no, you suck at questing, I'm gonna go. And a few hours later, they had almost killed each other in the fighting, the pack of dogs being long, long gone, and both of them being unable to follow, but with their horses dead and their deep wounds. Gawain stopped them from murdering each other, then said that he had been given the quest by Arthur and told them to go to Camelot and rest. Since Gawain was going to follow the stag and the dogs, they agreed to not try to kill each other anymore, and they left. Gawain stood before a ford. There was a knight on the other side, guarding it. This was in the way of Gawain's quest, though, and he wouldn't just be deterred by some guy. Gawain led his horse into the river, and the knight charged. As it turned out, the knight, like the two brothers who almost killed each other out of their profound and abiding stupidity, was also not great at his job. He struck Gawain with a lance and fell off his own horse. His horse ran off, and the man stood in the water, blocking Gawain's path, saying that he demanded Gawain come down from his horse and fight to the death. Uh, yeah, no, Gawain said, and cracked the man on the head with his lance. It said that his teeth fell out, and, presumably, cartoon birds flew in circles above his head. The theme of knights being bad at their jobs continued, because, after days of riding in the hot sun, Gawain and his brother emerged from the forest, to the sounds of hounds baying. They had found the dogs and the stag, in a fortress. Given that it was a fortress, you'd think a team of dogs couldn't just walk right into the center of it, and tear a stag to pieces, but remember, the knights in the story are really bad at being knights. Since Gawain and his brother were so far away, they couldn't hear the knight that rushed out say to himself, Oh no, I'm going to be in so much trouble if the lady finds this. Seeing as he had a fun dog party in his castle, hanging out and enjoying a well-earned stag, he decided that the best course of action was to just start stabbing dogs and to figure everything else out on the other end. Gawain saw two of the unsuspecting puppers meet the business end of the knight's sword, and he freaked out. Bringing those dogs back in one piece also literally, was his only quest objective. To the knight's credit, he wasn't enjoying killing the dogs, but he panicked. Really though, if stabbing a bunch of unsuspecting dogs is the first and last solution for you, you might want to talk to someone about that. It seems like it's very rarely the answer to any problem. Gawain charged in to see the honorable knight finishing off the second dog, and Gawain yelled at the man, asking him what he was doing. The man looked at Gawain, what am I doing? What are you doing? You're not supposed to be in here. Wow, though. I really need to be better about keeping this place secure. You just walked in here. Yeah, well, stop stabbing the dogs, Gawain said. They're mine, and I need to take them back. Seriously, they were just doing what they were bred to do. And apparently so are you, because you, sir, are ill-bred. There, I said it. What did you say? The other knight asked. Taking a brief break from all of his puppy killing, you heard me, Gawain said. And the knight did hear him. As intimidating as it is, I know some medievalists listen to this podcast. So if you happen to know why calling the knight Ilbreb would escalate the situation to blows, please let me know. I couldn't find anything. But it did escalate the situation. And the knight picked up his sword. He said that there was no way Gawain was going to leave with the stag. And now the knight would be killing all the dogs, even though he really didn't want to at all. It would just take him like 
five-ish minutes to get the rest of his armor on. So if Gwen didn't mind waiting or... Ah, uh, yeah, sure, whatever, be my guest, Gwen said. I'll just get the dogs together in the meantime, because I'm gonna win. Yeah, we'll see, the knight said. Alright, five minutes, be right back. It was closer to ten minutes, but by the time the knight got back, Gawain was ready to go. The knight yelled and charged Gawain, and they were off fighting. The knight was actually pretty decent, but Gawain was faster, stronger, more talented. In moments, the other knight was on the floor, bleeding out in multiple places. Gawain was breathing heavily, but he wasn't thinking about his fight. He was thinking about the fight he should have been having today. The one with King Pelinor. This was a stupid distraction, made all the longer by the knight's insolence. Gawain hated this knight, who was now on the ground, begging for mercy. Gawain grabbed the back of the knight's helmet, and he was so angry that the leather strip snapped. Gawain tore it off. There, bloody, sweaty, and crying, the man was begging for his life. For mercy. Gawain looked down at him. Sword pointed to the man's neck and just said, No. Now, let me back up. For Gawain to not accept this man's plea was very out of the norm for the knights. If a defeated knight asked for mercy, his honor would suffer, but he could reasonably expect that, unless he was a murderer or a traitor, he would get mercy and not be killed. No matter how you feel about the man killing the dogs, it probably didn't warrant a death sentence. At least in the eyes of these medieval knights. That's why the knight was shocked and terrified when Gawain refused. Gawain was angry at Pelinor, at Merlin, at the entire world. He couldn't kill Pelinor today, and he knew it was wrong to kill this guy, but it was something. The knight cursed his name, and Gawain's brother watched on in horror as Gawain raised his sword. His rage blinded him. As he struck down, he didn't see the knight's lady and lover rush from the side of the room. She had heard his pleas, and she didn't want to live without him. She dove, and she would not need to live without him. Gawain saw her at the last possible moment, but it was too late to stop. It was too late to do anything other than see the sword slice the woman's head off in one strike. Gawain pulled it back as best he could, and he only nicked the knight underneath. The knight screamed when he saw the lady's head drop to the floor, to the side of him, and it took him a bit of time to register what had happened. Gawain staggered back to a table face completely white. He saw the woman's body, the defeated knight holding it, and sobbing. What had he done? Gawain's brother looked on him in horror. He didn't agree with Gawain's decision to execute a knight for killing a few dogs, but this was beyond the pale. His brother had done something monstrous. I know, I know, Gawain said to his brother, tearing his helmet off and running his hands through his hair. The man was screaming at Gawain that the murderer would need to answer for what he did. But Gawain silenced him. Gawain said that the man shouldn't have killed the dogs. Now look what happened. He said that he would let the man live, but the knight needed to ride tonight to King Arthur with the dead dogs on his horse. He needed to explain why they died and how it was the knight's fault. Now go. The knight looked up in confusion. What about his lady? What about her? Gawain said, raising his sword to the man. The man cowered. He understood. He took a tablecloth and covered her body. Weeping as he did so, he said goodbye to his lady, the one he was really bad at protecting and who had ultimately given her life for his. I know it 
was an accident. But Gawain, Gahiriot said, after the other knight had left. He was kneeling over the woman's body. I know, I know, Gawain said. Just drag her to the other side of the room. I'll bar the door. What? We're not going to sleep here, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, Gawain, you're not thinking clearly. We're in a strange fortress where you just accidentally killed the lady of the castle. It's probably abandoned, Gawain said. I, this is just dumb, Gahiriot said. But whatever, you're the boss, I'm just a squire. Ten minutes later, once the lady's body was on the other side of the room, they pushed the tables to the side to make a place to sleep. They then heard a horn blow outside. I wonder who that could be, Gahiriot said. Maybe the non-existent people of the castle. Oh look, and there they are. Apparently Gawain had barred the front door, but was so confident in his assessment that the well-furnished and well-maintained castle was abandoned that he didn't check any of the other doors and was, for some reason, surprised when four knights came rushing out at him. Luckily, Gawain was still in his full armor. That took a long time to take off, and just as luckily, he was Gawain, the future best knight in the world. He threw up a shield, backed up to the wall, and fought all four knights at once, and he could have done it for a long time, possibly even winning, until an archer stepped into the room from yet another unbarred door. While Gawain was fighting the four knights, the archer casually picked out an arrow, drew back his bow, aimed, and fired. And despite having all the time in the world, it only hit Gawain's arm, but it drove right through the armor and sunk deep into his muscle. Gawain dropped his sword, and shield went down and the four knights took this opportunity to do what knights like to do, pummel him mercilessly until he was defeated. Gawain would have been killed too, because the archer was pulling back his bow for another shot, when he found a lance protruding out of his chest that he never really remembered being there before. Gahariot, the squire, and Gawain's brother, had seen the archer, and rushed to him, grabbing the first thing he saw from Gawain's supplies, which, fortunately, turned out to be the lance. Another young woman came rushing into the room, yelled for everybody to stop. She had a voice that commanded the obedience of the knights, and they quickly stopped beating Gawain. Gaharriot was quickly apprehended too. The woman looked at the dead girl and sneered. She made it clear that she wasn't sparing the knight for any reason other than the fact that he could be some well-born man from some powerful kingdom, and that even though he deserved death for killing the woman, it was generally a bad idea to immediately execute strangers, no matter how much they deserved it. He would be locked up until they figured out what to do with him. Gawain didn't hear any of that. His vision was blurring and his ears were ringing. The poison in the arrow was already taking effect. The night was not a fun one. Few nights that are spent in captivity are, but it was especially bad for Gawain, who was in the throes of a dangerously high fever. Even if the arrow's poison wasn't coursing through his body, the wound was becoming puffy and discolored. His head pounded and his eyes on fire. Gawain began hallucinating. The shadows that danced from the torches burning outside were his father, being cut in half over and over again. His arm around the heap across the room was the prostrate knight he had defeated earlier that day. His brother, carrying from with a cool, damp cloth, was the headless lady rubbing her hair on his face. Gawain shrieked and fought against his brother for as long as he could until a restless sleep finally overwhelmed him. By morning, 
The fever broke, and the swelling in his arm was going down. And Gehiri could tell by the first look his brother gave him. Something had changed in his brother overnight. As he spoke, it was like the fever had tempered him, burned away his youth, made him stronger. We could die here, Gawain said, and it would be right. I'm sorry I didn't spare the night. The woman was an accident, but it was what I deserved. I prayed for so long to become a knight. If God wills it for me to die here, then I accept that. But if not, I wanted to be a knight, but I didn't want to be this type of knight. I have to be different, Gawain said, and hung his head. The fever had burned away his rage at Pelinor, Merlin, even his father. He still vowed to see Pelinor dead by his hand, but it was to fulfill a duty to his father. Not out of hatred. His brother put his arm around him. They didn't need to say anything else. Well, I could have you killed, they heard from the window. It was the woman from before. A lady who, thanks to Gawain's actions, was now the lady of the castle. She said that she heard it from a witness. A servant hiding in the corner of the room, who had witnessed everything and rushed out after Gawain had made the knight leave with the two dogs. She knew it was an accident, a heinous one, but an accident nonetheless. Whatever Gawain deserved, he was a knight of King Arthur's round table, and if he was killed in some far-off kingdom, well, the lady didn't want to deal with that. Besides, it would make her look better if she let him go. More courteous and all that. So how about this? Gawain gives her an oath to do whatever she asks, and she'll let him go. Otherwise, she'll execute him, and she'll deal with the consequences. Gawain agreed to her terms, but made it clear that he was doing it because it was the right thing to do, and not for the fringe benefit of living. Accident though it was, he felt sick with the idea that he had killed a defenseless woman. The new lady at the castle chuckled. <laughs> not as bad as you're gonna feel. Gawain was outfitted on his horse a few hours later for the long trip back to Camelot, but with two, frankly, pretty horrifying additions. One, the body of the young woman was flung across his horse's withers, the area between the saddle and the neck. The head, well, the new lady of the castle said she wouldn't shame Gawain more than he deserved, and this was really stretching the bounds of that promise, because he had to wear the head of the woman that he killed around his neck all the way back to Camelot. He had to sleep with it around his neck, eat with it around his neck, and ride all day in the hot sun with it around his neck. When Gawain reached Camelot, he had to tell the whole honest story of refusing the knight's mercy and killing the woman. If he took whatever punishment they deemed fit, then his oath would be fulfilled. Oh, and if you're wondering, she apparently had very long, very strong hair, because that's how they looped it around Gawain's neck. Gawain did not stop all the way back to Camelot and Gaharriot had the pleasure of being the dog walker. I guess they didn't kill the other dogs, but kept them for Gawain and his brother, since that was their quest. They rode hard all day, with the dogs trailing behind them, until, around nightfall, they approached Camelot. Everyone came out to see the young knight and his squire riding through town. When they reached the castle, Merlin was standing out front. He could see it. Gawain had learned exactly what he needed to, but the middle-aged wizard sighed. It had been a hard lesson. The servants helped the woman's body off the horse and delicately untied her hair, 
to get the head off from Gawain's neck. They were reluctant, but Merlin chastised them. As we talked about also in episode 27c, a knight had used the spear that pierced Christ's side, a holy relic called the Spear of Destiny, to stab a guy in the groin. That would come to be known as the Dolorous Blow, an ill omen that would propel Britain into decades of strife and danger until the quest for the Holy Grail was started by an unknown knight sitting in the last chair and completing the round table. The chair was called the Siege Perilous, and that has no bearing on our story. But seriously, the Spear of Destiny, the Dolorous Blow, the Siege Perilous, and castles with the name of the Castle of Dire Adventure, that was in the Yvain episode. I just want to say, Arthurian legends have the best names for stuff. Anyway, back to Merlin yelling at people who can't talk back to him. He said that, until the quest for the Holy Grail was completed decades from now, this was the least of the horrible things they would see. The servants looked at each other warily. Slowly unattaching a woman's severed head from a knight's armor is no big deal. Huh, these next couple of decades are going to be fun. What was not fun was everything Gawain was about to do. Merlin had one more thing to ask of Gawain. That the knight tell the whole story of exactly what happened to King Arthur. Queen Guinevere, and all the assembled ladies of the court. Gawain nodded. He accepted his punishment. They were all shocked. And Arthur gave the task of determining what must be done about Gawain to the ladies of the court, who said, essentially, one, never do that again, never hurt another woman, and two, if a young woman asked for his help, he had to honor it, and do it to the best of his ability. Now, if you remember almost 100 episodes ago, back to episode 1C, this sort of explains why Gawain was so happy to take on the task of the sister, who was trying to rob the other sister. It also explains why Lunette sought out the help of Gawain first, because by that time, he had earned the reputation of a knight that always helped women. It was likely that this was an attribute to the character in the early stories, and this later story was made up to explain it, but we're not going to deal with that. Merlin and Arthur didn't judge. I mean, once you've sunk a ship full of babies, it kind of gets a bit difficult to ever claim the moral high ground again. And Gawain accepted what the young woman asked. Merlin did ask that he swear on holy relics, that he would always grant a knight mercy if the knight asked. And Gawain did. He was allowed to go free, and sand severed head hanging around his neck. Oh, this is very normal and okay, King Arthur said as he looked on something that was neither. It was Christmas time, and everyone had sat down to a feast. Gawain, the king's nephew, had quickly become a favorite. After he had decided to stay, after coming back with a woman's head around his neck, he and his brother sat next to the queen, and on the other side was Yvaine, who, like virtually everyone in this world, had yet to meet his lion best friend. But back to what the king and everyone saw. It was a man, who had ridden his horse inside the castle, and right up to King Arthur's dinner table, also, he was green. His skin, hair, and beard were green. And if that wasn't enough, he doubled down in the fashion choice and made his entire wardrobe green and gold. The horse he was riding had green and gold hair, too. And, somehow even more peculiar, the knight wasn't armored. He was just wearing normal clothes and holding a bit of holly in one hand and the largest axe any of them had ever seen in the other, within striking distance of the king. I was going to make a joke how we're continuing the theme of knights being terrible at their job, but if I saw a large green man holding a large green battle axe, I would probably step aside too. Uh, hi? 
Arthur said. We have parking outside, you know, but yeah, no, it's cool. Just ride your mud-caked horse into my nice halls. Are you here for dinner? No, I'm here to play a game, the Green Knight said. I've heard about your knights, and I wanted to test them. Where are they? Oh, they're all around you, King Arthur said. You see, we were just having dinner. Oh, the Green Knight said. So the knights will be here after this kindergarten class lets out, or what? Ha, yeah, okay, very funny, Arthur said. Yes, your knights are very funny, the Green Knight said. They're like children who are exceptionally bad at being knights. Okay, what do you even want? Arthur asked. And the Green Knight just said, again, that he wanted to play a game. He held out his axe and said that this was a game where someone would strike him with his massive green axe. And any year plus one day, the Green Knight would get to return exactly that blow. Everyone kind of sat there and quiet until King Arthur said that, sure, he would do it, especially if it would get the knight to shut up. Now give me the battle axe and show me your neck. The knight did just that, and Arthur brought back the axe. But someone caught it before he could bring it down on the neck of the grinning green knight. Gawain was sitting, like everyone else in the hall, in rapt attention. But then he came to his senses. He had been scared, like everyone else. But Arthur stepping up inspired him. Also, something was totally up with this guy. And whatever happened, Gawain didn't like the idea of the king of green to have an axe brought down on his neck in a year. As Gawain took the axe, the green knight looked at him, still smiling. He said that he hoped it would be Gawain. And, not really addressing that statement loaded with portent, Gawain asked the knight where he should be in a year. And the great knight just said that he would tell Gawain before he left. Gawain shrugged and brought the axe down hard on the man's neck. And he lopped the green head right off. Gawain turned around, bloody axe in his hand, and laughed. He said he guessed he didn't have to worry about where he needed to be in a year. Right, guys? Guys? I know I've joked around a lot about the Middle Ages, but a man being killed by beheading at Christmas dinner would have been shocking. And Guinevere almost fainted. That wasn't the issue, though. The issue was that he was beheaded, but not killed. The head rolled across the floor, but the body, instead of going slack, kept kneeling. Gawain turned around when the half-giant stooped and grabbed his own head as it rolled across the floor. Blood dripping from the neck, the head began to speak. He told Gawain that it was a really good strike, and Gawain should expect a good one in return. In one year, and one day, Gawain should go to the Green Chapel, because, and I know this is shocking, but the Green Knight was also known as the Knight of the Green Chapel. Head in hand, the Knight got back on his horse and rode out from the hall. Everyone stood there in complete shock, at not just seeing a man beheaded at dinner, but watching him pick up that head and ride out with it. King Arthur, standing beside Gawain, just shook his head. Huh. How about that? Arthur grabbed the axe. Let's hang that up on the wall here. Well, until next year when, you know. Hey everyone, it's Christmas time. Let's keep this party going. After that brief and confusing lull, the feast resumed. For all but Gawain, he was left standing there, staring at the axe, and wondering what in the world he had gotten himself into. And that's where we're going to leave it for this week. 
next week, Gawain will arrive for that green chapel. And honestly, things only get weirder. I want to say thanks to Gennaro Oakland, Minnie Mouse, Cargill69, F. Stank, Trusen, I don't want to choose another name on one word, Tetracell, Idol Love, Mo Aisling, MWP0, Stir Fries, One Must Die, Salasha, Cast 1001, Bald Guy 2014, Dagger 154, and Dr. Dre should go back to producing for the reviews on iTunes. Thank you so much. It's really great to hear from you. And if you'd like to leave a review, that's definitely the best place. And you can find the show there at itunes.mythpodcast.com. And also, there's a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of a live pet bat that you can buy online for some reason, you can get extra episodes, source back ebooks, and ad-free versions of the show. That won't add a lot of responsibility to your life and make you learn a lot about the dietary and climate needs of a bat. Really though, a pair of bats is like two grand, and they apparently don't make great pets. I really think you'll have more fun checking out the extra member-only episodes that won't die in a year. Check out support.mythpodcast.com for more info on the episodes, not the bats. The creature this week is the Chinchin Kopakama. It's from Japanese folklore, but people think it originated in Chinese mythology. Legend has it that there was once a rich, spoiled girl that grew into a lazy young woman. She married a warrior, but he was often out of the house because of his warrior duties. So, like we all do when we have the house to ourselves, she might have gotten a bit lax about doing the dishes and putting things away. And by a bit lax, I mean she didn't clean up at all for weeks. Around day two or three, she wondered when the servants were going to come clean things up for her. But after a while, she realized that no servants were coming. It never really crossed her mind to clean up for herself, so she just kept making messes. When you're home by yourself, one of the creepiest things is when you think you hear a voice somewhere in the house. Well, the girl didn't just think she heard a voice, she did hear a voice. She opened her eyes to see them. All around her, hundreds of tiny men danced, only a few inches tall. They were dressed like samurai, and they were laughing at her, saying that they were the lovely little spirits wearing skirts. And the hour is late. Sleep, honorable little darling. Now, it might sound like they were being nice, but they weren't. They were being super passive-aggressive and making fun of her laziness. They were yelling and making nasty faces at her, all while jumping around her head, which is not conducive to sleeping. She swung at them, but they were fast and dodged her. And when she stopped striking, they would just jump back to the same spot and continue mocking her all night until the break of dawn. A few days later, the husband returned to find, one, the house was still a complete mess, and two, his wife was huddled in bed, sick with anxiety. She finally broke down and told him all about the little men that visited her every night at 2 a.m. and laughed at her until morning. And he actually believed her, or humored her. Regardless, it led to him waiting outside her room at 1.59 a.m. with his swords drawn. At 2 a.m., the little warriors jumped out, and started making fun of the young woman. They had no idea what they were in for. It was a massacre, and the man had nearly killed 200 of them before he realized what they were. They weren't little men, but literal stick figures made from the toothpicks that the woman had thrown around the house, and they were dressed in other trash. Apparently, the ghosts that live in the floor mats, the real Chinchin Kobakama, didn't like that she was messy, so they used her own trash to torment her. And this can happen with anything. 
with toothpicks kind of being the least offensive trash I can think of. Though, and I'm not saying I want to see this, but if that raw chicken I left a bit too long in the fridge was breakdancing across the floor while making fun of me, I don't think I'd even be mad. Just kind of impressed. That's it for this week. The theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. The other music this week was by Pottington Bear and Blue Dot Sessions. And if you want to say hi, I'm on Facebook and Twitter at Myth Podcast. I'm Jason Weiser. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. Thank you.